Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. Well, welcome to the EquipCast, everybody. My name is Jim Jansen. I'm the Director of Pastoral Services here at the Archdiocese of Omaha. I'm joined by my co-host today, Father Jeff Lorig. Father, how you doing? I'm doing really well. Excited to be with all of you. I don't get to hang out with you guys as much, so it's always good to hang out and pick your brains. Mm-hmm. Um, got to do that with Whitney before we got started today. I'm Got some pro-life questions for sure. In this election season, everything is a little mm-hmm. more tense, so it's, it's good to get some coaching. So I've appreciated that from our little side conversation with Whitney before we got started today. So yeah, we, now, we may have inspired ourselves an idea for a future podcast. Yes, in fact. And now I just want to pick your brain about our topic at hand. And, uh, and the topic at hand is, is really about conflict, which is everybody's favorite thing, right? Yeah, we just thought it's like, hey, you know, we're in an election cycle where yeah, everybody's, you know, and, and thinking ahead, we're not that far away from the holidays and Thanksgiving. So, no, I mean, really, maybe I think what we want to talk about is unity. The folks here from the Archdiocese of Omaha know that the pastoral vision, one church encountering Jesus, equipping disciples and living mercy, was actually the product of a number of listening sessions And one of the things that was really striking was that there was a desire for unity that kept being expressed over and over again. I want to approach maybe the topic of unity. Really, if we can, our ability to process through disagreement and conflict on a real person-to-person level. As a joke sometimes, it's like, it's really easy for Catholics to love the Pope because the Pope right? Never changes your favorite mass time. He never preaches too long, you know, at your church on Sunday. I mean, unless you happen to be in Rome. It's your pastor, your parish priest, who hopefully challenges you a little bit. It's your coworkers, it's your family, it's the people that we actually live with and interact with that really tend to sometimes rub us the wrong way. And that's where we get conflict. And I just want to put forth this theory that if we can figure out how to get along with our family, and our friends, and our neighbors, and the other people at our churches, that's going to go a long way to the macro unity that I think has really come into focus the last few months in our country. Yeah, your phrase about it has to be sort of at the local level. It has to start person to person. It reminds me of the phrase we use here in the United States, you know, all politics is local. Like, of course, you know, the Pope, mm. this or that, yada, yada. Yeah, but it's, it really comes down to how we're being affected at the local level. Well, and this is fundamental Christian stuff. You know, I mean, a lot of our listeners know that division is always the work of the enemy and unity is always the desire of God's heart. You know, Jesus in, in, in his, like his, one of his last prayers on earth at the last supper, he says, father, I pray that they may all be one as you and I are one. And then this last part, which blows me away. So that the world may know that you sent me. And there's this connection to unity that it is our unity that is either the secret sauce that attracts the world or repels it. More often than not, I think in our day and age, it's, it, our, our disunity ends up being a repellent. But in the early church, I mean, clearly it was just not an attractive thing, you know, for a first century Roman to be a Christian. 
these folks, as far as they knew, right, all of the press was like, okay, they're cannibals. They're eating this Christus chap. They're drowning babies. They're atheists. They don't believe in the gods. There was no political or social advantage to being a Christian. And yet their unity and their love was so attractive that people were drawn, despite the fact that it didn't initially seem to be in their best interest, they're drawn to become Christian because that unity was such a powerful witness. So unity's good. We got that clarified. Check. But there's a lot of conflict. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the conflict we experience is really personal. It's really right in front of us. And so if we're going to resolve some conflict in order to attain unity, what kind of resolutions are we talking about? I'm just, I'm sitting here thinking about like this morning, I'm like, God, I was going to call my dad, but it's political season and we don't get along (laughs) But I also know that the thing that often resolves conflict is communication. Yes. And the longer I wait to talk, actually these stories start to play out in my head. And, and a lot of times they're, they're lies. And so I just, I feel like if I want to get rid of those lies right away, I have to speak into some of the things I'm scared about talking about. Yeah. Well, you, know, you and I, Father, we're both fans of the Global Leadership Summit. And one of the guests that they often bring on is a man by the name of Joseph Gretti, wrote a book called Crucial Conversations, fabulous, fabulous stuff. And one of the things that he talked about, the health of any organization, family, I would say marital relationship, the health of any organization or relationship is measured by the distance between broken expectations and clarifying conversations. How long does it take when someone violates your expectations to have a conversation to try and clarify that. Yeah. And I think we leave space for the enemy when we don't speak into some of those places where there is some, some tension in our hearts. Yeah. The, the enemy can just do all kinds of wonders and yeah. it, wonders. I don't know if wonders is the right word, but he, he can wreak havoc on our hearts. Yeah. That's exactly what St. Paul says. He, right? he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And that's exactly. just, that's kind of a turn of a phrase of saying like, you don't want to sleep on it. Yeah, I was like, it's a good thing to sleep on some big decisions, but you're like, well, I'm really angry and hurt. Sleeping on it is not, <laughs> is not the right approach when you're really angry and hurt. Now, sometimes you need to wait. You know, if you're like, okay, I'm really upset right now. I need to figure out what I think. I need to calm down a little bit. You know, yeah, that's always a good idea. But the idea of just letting it sit and fester, not so good. Yeah, so you're using scripture as sort of a good starting point. Are there some other places where we should get started here? Yeah, there's, so there's two that I think are really helpful. One of my favorites was Matthew 18, and I won't say her name, but I was just literally talking with a friend who was struggling with some conflict in her parish, trying to work with some, I wouldn't even say what, what positions, but some staff members at the parish. And we started to talk about Matthew chapter 18, because Matthew chapter 18 is where Jesus kind of gives his advice on conflict resolution. And I'll I'll talk about kind of like he gives a a step-by-step plan of how to do this. But before he does, the context is really important. This is the place where Jesus tells the story about the two debtors. You know, the one owes a huge sum and he's forgiven that sum. And then he goes out and he chokes his fellow servant. And then he gets thrown in jail because he doesn't show mercy. And that context is not insignificant. Without diving into a full-fledged Bible study, what's fascinating is the man 
who chokes his fellow servant, even though he's been already forgiven this huge sum, he still is acting like a man in debt. He's desperate for money. And I think it's a sign that he hasn't received the mercy that was offered him in a way that would have allowed him to extend mercy. And I think there's something to it. Before Jesus tells us how to deal with conflict, as he gives us a protocol, he gives us a pretty clear warning that we need to remember our own debt and what the Lord has done to forgive us. The, the advice that Jesus gives practically though, really isn't that shocking. He's like, okay, here's what you do. Talk to them, <laughs> talk to them one-on-one. And if they don't listen to that, then, then grab another, another friend, a, another Christian, talk to them together. And then if they still don't listen, then you can tell it to the church and the community. And hopefully the cultural pressure, if you will, good peer pressure in this case, helps kind of win and turn the heart of this person. What was fascinating is we tend to do it in reverse. We tell everybody and only, only eventually do we finally get around to talking to the individual who's frustrated us or hurt us or broken an expectation one-on-one. Yeah. And I, what comes up for me is Philippians 2. And we actually mm. use this for pastoral planning. We use this prayer because as we were bringing these parishes together, the, the temptation was always just to, to really be competitive and, and not mm-hmm. really experience unity. Like we really just wanted to blanket the whole, meet all those meetings with the, this sense of unity and being one on a mission together. Yeah. And it was Father Vogel actually who said, uh, let's use this as our opening prayer. So he just used Philippians 2. He says, brothers and sisters, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any solace and love, any participation in the spirit, any compassion and mercy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, with the same love, united in heart, thinking one thing, do nothing out of selfishness or out of vainglory. Rather, humbly regard others as more important than yourselves, each looking out not for his own interests, but also for those of others. I'll have to say, like, when I was mm. kind of praying through that myself, and actually I had a, a conflict about three years ago in, in my previous assignment. What? Yeah. That well, doesn't happen to priests, does it? Just normal, normal human stuff. But I just remember, like, somebody gave me some feedback. It really hurt. And I was really mad at that person. And I remember this line, because we just had this in the reading not too mm. long ago, so three years ago, as we go through that reading cycle. I just, I wanted to just knock this guy in the head and just like, oh, this guy's a stupid, this is a stupid butt. And you know, I just wanted to cuss like crazy and be angry at him. <laughs> and and the, the line that really gave me the most consolation was this, humbly regard others as more important than yourself. So if I just mm. enter into conversations like, just let go of your ego, Jeff. And, and remember that others are more important than you. And that's not mm. to beat myself down or, you know, think less of myself in any way like that. But if I go into conversations really Mm -hmm. respecting somebody, then my ego's not hurt so bad. That's awesome. I love that you referenced Philippians because I think that's actually one of my go-to spots. At the very end, he's actually giving very practical advice for some folks in conflict. There's this last line in chapter four. He says, I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to come to a mutual understanding. Some translations say to agree in the Lord. And then he commissions this coworker, says, help them, for they have worked at my side. So whoever these two women are, some people think Yodia was the, the DRE in Philippi and uh, Syntyche was their parish secretary and they were having a little bit of tension. It's, uh, that's in the footnotes. You can check it out. 
they're, uh, they're having this challenge and they worked with Paul. They struggled at his side. What's even better, he says, whose names are written in the book of life. So literally, Paul's like, yeah, these are amazing saintly women and they cannot get along. <laughs> and somebody please help them to agree. And again, without going all the way into it, what he does is he ends up making this case where he draws their attention back to, just like you were saying, Father, back to like count others as better than yourself. Recognize like this person is not really evil, even if they've done something wrong. You need to think of this person in light of eternity. You need to think of this person in light of salvation. Literally, like Jesus died for love of this individual and probably won't take kindly <laughs> to our gossiping and, and slandering them. And then at the end, he gives this really great advice. And I love it. I mean, you, I think you're, you're almost quoting it. This is one of those places where he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, lovely, gracious. If there's any excellence, anything worthy about praise, think about these things. And some people just think this is just yeah, another one of his kind of random list of good ideas. But I think it's supposed to be read in the context of this conflict resolution. That what he's saying is, is like, Yodia, there's got to be something good about Syntyche. Do you remember how, how good she is in comforting the grieving? How she's always there when someone's suffering? And, and I think we all know how this is. We begin to zero in on the annoying behavior we begin to kind of focus on what's hurtful and what's frustrating. And we start to miss all of the goodness. And it's just this very simple advice, which has been super helpful for me lately. Cause yeah, shocking. I, I actually have had some conflict in my life and it's been super helpful for me to begin to think about the beautiful and good and the excellence and the things that are worthy of praise in these individuals that were frankly annoying the crap out of me. You know, I have heard about a book, and this book was sitting on my shelf for a long, long time. It's called Crucial Conversations. And I thought, you know, I can get through life avoiding crucial conversations. I don't need this <laughs> book. I don't need any extra help. But it was really highly recommended by you and I think Calvin and a few others from mm -hmm. your office. And I could actually, as I read through it, I could see you guys using this on a regular basis as you were talking to your boss, me, <laughs> your former boss. I could see how you were really setting me up for things that were crucial that needed to be talked about, whether it was feedback mm -hmm. or, or things I needed to do differently. So yeah, there is this great book out there that's used in, in, in the corporate world. It's great for families. It's great for mm -hmm. church. It really just takes what St. Paul and Philippians is doing, just takes it to the, a much more practical, mm -hmm. really easy, understandable way of living out in unity and in getting through and cutting through the conflict, not avoiding it, but like entering into it without being afraid with the desire of unity, which the Lord desires and longs for, for all of us in his church. Yeah, so you've I, read this book, huh? I, I've read it. I, I love it. It's so Joseph Grenny, uh, G-R-E-N-N-Y uh, is the author, but it's actually a team of authors. It's really fun. They've got like, they've got a researcher and a sociologist, and they've got a number of different people that kind of co-write uh, these books. So I'm just kind of curious and fascinated by the writing process and the way they bring the information together. So it's very well researched, but it's also very well written. It's easy. And the first time I read it, I'm like, oh no, you know, it's like exploding in my mind, all these conversations I need to have and, and like, oops, 
botch that one. And it was, it's, it's really helpful. So I'll give a little teaser here. Because one of the things that they talk about is they give this acronym for having a crucial conversation. And it's STATE. So like S-T-A-T-E, STATE. And it's three steps and two kind of manners of speaking. So I'll just give a little teaser here. So for STATE, the first letter, S, stands for just share the facts. For example, like, so I've noticed you've come in three times this week late. Just wanted to point that out. Again, that's just the facts. You're not adding any sort of judgment or any sort of anything to that. The next kind of path that they suggest is the T, you tell your story. Because all of us, when something happens, we immediately and often subconsciously interpret it. You know, somebody cuts us off in traffic and we immediately either interpret as like, oh gosh, I must have not allowed space for that person to come in. And they, or, or you're like, that jerk just cut me off. You know, and if that happens, we tell ourselves a story. And so they encourage people to be really intentional about thinking through what is the story I'm telling myself about these facts. And so in this case, you know, it's like, okay, share the facts. I've noticed you've come in late three times this week. T, tell your story. I'm wondering if I've not been clear on the expectation of what time you need to be to work. And then A, ask for feedback. Am I missing something here? And I can actually tell a true story that was actually this conversation. You know, I was, I was somebody's boss and I am, I am very slow to talk to people about gaps in punctuality expectations because I'm so bad at it myself. I feel like a gross hypocrite. So I tend to let it slide. But when I finally got up the courage, I was like, okay, I noticed you've been late quite a bit this month because <laughs> it took me a long time to bring it up. I'm just wondering if, if we're clear about what time you're supposed to be, be into work and am I missing something here? And sure enough, I was. <laughs> what I was missing was, oh my gosh, did I not? I'm sorry. I my car broke down and I haven't had enough money to be able to get it fixed. And so I've had to hitch a ride with somebody and they don't leave until they, and there was like, there was literally a lot of information I was missing. And again, I finally got myself frustrated enough that I was willing to say something. And my frustration just immediately evaporated and I went to empathy. It's like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that. Like I'm on the way, I could have totally picked you up and I'll be late too. No, I'm on the way, I could, I could totally pick you up. Those three simple steps, share the facts, tell your story, ask for feedback. That's kind of your script, if you will. And then they offer two additional letters, the T and the E, which are manners of speaking. So the T is talk tentatively. So I'll switch examples here. Talking tentatively, this may or may not be a real conversation from a teenager in my home. Honey, it seems like you keep struggling to get your homework done. And, and it was like, it seems like, you know, it's just, it's just a little bit, it's just a tentative thing. It, it's a low pitch, nice yeah. and easy pitch. In. Just kind of tentative. And then the E is encouraging testing because this particular individual was confident that they were in perfect control of their homework. And so it's like, okay, rather than trying to like, well, let's just figure this out. No, I'm right. No, you're wrong. It's like E stands for encourage testing. Well, let's just use this little index card. And let's just track how often you're done with your homework before bedtime this week. Let's just test it out. Well, let's just see, right back to the punctuality example. Okay, well, let's just see if 
you can have that conversation and if it works for you to be able to be in by nine. Let's just test it out. Let's just see. And, and that testing is just a fantastic way where you're able to have the conversation and you don't get sucked into the trap of like, no, I'm sure this is it. And it is this way. You're just like, well, let's just agree to do a test and watch together to see if your plan or if this pattern is, is real. I think you live in an ideal world, Jim. This seems all a little fuzzy to me. <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure people I listen. I probably like, can't actually disagree with that. <laughs> <laughs> it all sounds really great, but the reality is, you know, when I get into these conversations, my heart rate increases. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm, I am a quarter Irish, and I suddenly become 100% Irish and lose my temper. <laughs> all you got to do is say something, and I just lose my temper. And I just don't have control of my my emotions maybe like you do. And I don't know, but I'm just, I'm thinking about some of the times where I, I, okay, I share the facts. I notice you're doing this, give it a chance for somebody to tell their story. But at the end of the day, if I say, here are the expectations, I notice you're not doing it. You know what the expectation is and you're still not doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, then, then, then what do I do? Like, Ooh. so I, well, yeah, that's, that's a different, awesome. maybe that's a different podcast. I don't know. It is. Yeah. I feel like I've done the hard work of entering into the very uncomfortable conversation, holding my anger back. And then and like, guess what? They just don't actually want to do it. Yeah. And, and they give, they give me excuses and I'm like, well, I'm not buying it. Don't give me these excuses. Like get your work done or do what well, I've asked you to do. Well, or you've got your index card, you know, all, all now, you know, sweaty with, you know, from, from your sweaty palms. And you're like, okay, step number one, share the facts. And you're like, so I've noticed you've come in late. And before you can finish your sentence, no less get to the other part of your script. They're like, back off. You've okay. always hated me. Yeah. Like, why do you pick on me, dad? I mean, again, total hypothetical here. Um, so first off, you're, you're actually right in that sometimes there's just nothing you can do. Meaning it's not, there's no point in talking, but like, there's no point in talking when people can't listen, right? And, and this, is, this is the classic mistake. Sometimes we use repetition and volume when people can't hear, <laughs> uh, right? Repetition is just nagging or we just like start to literally get louder. If you don't do your homework, and it's like, that doesn't, that doesn't work because sometimes people are so afraid, they're feeling judged in a professional circumstance, they're pretty sure they're going to lose their job, (laughs) whatever. Like sometimes people get so afraid they actually can't hear. And I'm I'm saying that kind of metaphorically, but I, I I mean, I'm, again, I'm no neuroscientist, but at a certain level, I know when I get in conflict and people are like, what happened? I'm like, I don't know. It was bad. I said (laughs) this and they said this, and I don't remember anything else because it's all locked away in my brain in the trauma file. It was just ugly. Like literally, you know, when our emotions take over, like our brain switches into a self-defense mode and just sometimes like people just can't hear anymore. I would say there's, there's two things you can do there. Number one, you just say like, okay, I'm going to try another day. And two, you use a technique called contrasting. And that is sometimes what people are reacting to is what they think you're saying and not what you're saying, right? So you're starting in, it's like, so I've noticed you've come in late three times this week. And they're like, oh no, I mean, you're gonna fire me. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm not saying I'm gonna fire you. I'm not saying you're a bad employee. Whatever you can seem to sense that the fear, you're like, no, I'm not, I'm not saying that you don't have a good reason. 
But what I am saying is I'd like to talk about what the expectations are. And sometimes as an employer, you have the freedom to say like, let's just be clear about what the expectations are. I'm fine to adjust the expectations. What I want is integrity. I want to make sure that we're remaining faithful to the expectations. And if you want to work from nine to five instead of eight to four, I don't have any problem about that. I just want to be clear about expectations. I want to make sure we're faithful to those. So that technique, contrasting, which I like to do, <laughs> you've called me on this before, Father, you've, <laughs> caught, you've caught me using it on you in a good way, is I sometimes do it proactively. So if I'm entering a conversation where I know I'm in territory that I think is, could be a little tense, I sometimes will proactively say something, again, back to my teenager's homework. Listen, I know you've had a lot of stress around your homework lately, and I'm not trying to add anything to that. I'm not trying to pile on you. I'm not trying to be critical. Here's what I'm not trying to do. But I'm noticing it seems like you're having a hard time getting it done before bed. And so that contrasting, it's a great way to restore safety and to help people. I don't know. It's like when we get stressed out, our ears fall off. And, and if you can use this technique, sometimes it can help people be able to hear again. Amen. So this goes well with your kids? Yes. Kim gets mad at me. So <laughs> my lovely wife, she can tell when I've read a new book. Because <laughs> you try things, you experiment. Yeah, because we're, yeah, we're in a conversation and she's like, yeah, she'll, she'll notice. I'm like, so I'll, yeah, I'll be like repeating something. It's like, so you're saying, and she's like, don't use that. I mean, it's like, well, I mean, it is working. We're having a healthy conversation. So I, I mean, ultimately kind of maybe back where we started, the real work is on us. I mean, we just need like some practical questions for reflection. Here's what we can do. So I, I want to give, give our listeners four questions to ask yourself. And I really appreciate that. The first one I would say is why would a reasonable person be doing this thing? I actually had to do this. I was in a conversation with a coworker and the conversation would go something like this. Well, Jim, why do you want to do such and such? And I'd answer. And then I'd get three more questions. And then I'd answer. And then I'd get three more questions. And it seemed like the more I talked, the further away we got. In an attempt to try and keep those stories from spiraling out of control and for me imagining that this person was just enjoying torturing me. I said like, okay, why would a reasonable person keep asking question after question after question. It was just like, just the obvious, like, okay, this is not, I'm apparently not getting through. We're not speaking the same language. And so I was able to really stop and say, okay, we're just going to try a totally different strategy. I'm not going to answer the questions. I'm going to ask this person what they think. And I'm going to switch and become the listener. So that actually was a great benefit in the uh, conversation. And it started by just me kind of asking that reflection question to myself. Okay, why would a reasonable, per reasonable person be doing this? And it helps a lot because oftentimes we've subtly begun to imagine the person to be unreasonable. So that's number one. The second one is, is similar. It's like, what do I really want in this situation? And at a superficial level, it's like, well, I, I want to win. I want to be, be right. I want them to say, you're right, I'm wrong. But deeper than that, what I usually want has something to do with unity, has something to do with assistance. It's about like, I don't want to be alone in this task. Yeah, I want to be understood and appreciated. 
And asking yourself the question, what do I really want? Again, imagine like the employer coming to someone who's struggling with punctuality. What do I want? Do I really want that person there at 8 a.m.? Or do I just want them to be faithful to what we've agreed upon? Do I really want 8 a.m.? Or do I just want to make sure that we have somebody covering the phones in, in the morning. So just being clear about what you really want from the situation is often helpful because when we don't do that, we end up arguing about the wrong things. Yeah, I think for me, so actually I listened to this book on a journey from one parish to another mm. during pastoral planning and wow. knowing that somebody was mad at me, and, but I had a goal in mind. The goal is we have to prepare our diocese for 30 fewer priests in less than 10 years. Yeah. And so the goal is to do the best we can to create these network of parishes where they're sharing pastors. And so I just, I asked the question, what do I really want from this situation? I want us to move forward with the next step, that conversations are happening, that planning is happening, that things are happening with the personnel board. So actually, what could have been a huge blowout fight. Somebody mm -hmm. was really attacking me and blaming me for a lot of things. Some of it I did wrong and some of it, like I think it was a little unfair, but I, I just, I let it just come right off of me because I knew, I, I knew, I knew that person had to get that steam off in order for us to get to the next step. So yeah. that's what really, I entered into the conversation. I let that person be mad at me and that's okay. You know, all for the, for the sake of moving forward with this project. So yeah, I, yeah. I just, it wasn't, I, I was never going to convince this person that I was right and they were wrong and that was never going to happen. But I, I did know that the, that the bigger overall project was more important. So. Well, you knew what you really wanted. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, so I had to ask the question, what do I really want from this situation? whatever it takes to get to the next step. And literally I listened to this book on the way to that, that uh, meeting. And that was my strategy going in. So this book really is, it's, it's pretty, and then, it's I, good I, stuff. And then I homilized about it that weekend too. So I'm like, <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> well, you know, you actually kind of set it up, but it's really helpful to ask yourself the question, what will the consequences be if I do not say something? Because usually as we're pondering whether or not, gosh, do, you know, do I want to say something? And all we can see is they're going to get mad at me. It's going to be awkward. And we're like, nope, not going to go there. But I want to encourage you to say like, well, no, 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 no. What will the consequences be if I don't say something and play it forward in your head? So let's say I just decide never to say anything about this person coming in late. Or in your case, it's like, well, what if I don't, if I'm not clear about what I really want out of the circumstances with, with pastoral planning, if I indulge in the wrong conversation and the wrong argument, there's no way I'm going to get what I really want out of this. And what I really want is like freedom for our parish communities to be able to move forward. So it's, it's really, really important to play it forward because sometimes the immediate painful consequence of awkward or, oh, they're going to get mad at me and this may not go well keeps us from saying something that we should. And I, I don't want to over-dramatize this, but let's just stop and think how many times a parent or even someone else, they just kind of had kind of a weird feeling. You know, it's like, gosh, you know, that, that way that coach or that teacher interacted, you know, with, with that, that person, that just felt a little bit off. You know, we think about times where a boss would kind of be crossing lines in, in terms of harassment. We don't want to say something because like, well, what about my job? Or it's a little bit awkward. 
And now I think we're in a place in society where we recognize like, oh gosh, I have to say something. Because if I don't, if there is a real pattern here, if there is a real problem here, if I actually play it forward in my mind, man, I do not want to be that person who, yeah, I saw something, but I didn't want to say it. And that's a little heavy and I don't want to put a burden on people, but I think thinking through like, yeah, what, but what happens if I don't say something? And it just helps put in perspective, you know, usually we're blinded by the fear of the conversation and that helps create a little bit of a larger context for us. Yeah. I think that the fear of having the conversation often prevents us from having the crucial conversations. I frequently repeat a line from Archbishop Lucas, which is it doesn't cost anything to have a conversation. And just, because what happens is I start playing out like these, well, he's going to say that and then I'm going to yell at him for that. And then this isn't going to go anywhere. And it's like, you know, I don't know. I, what are the best circumstances that could happen? Well, actually we all come to an understanding and there was a misunderstanding got clarified and uh, we were able to move forward. It doesn't cost anything to have that conversation. And again, if somebody wants to be mad at me, fine, we can move, we can move on and I can let go of my ego. And well, and, and you know what, father, that's the crazy thing is, Everybody recognizes it's actually kind of hard to have these conversations. So the truth of the matter is, is when someone goes out of their way to offer a correction and a clarification, and my experience, and it's not always the immediate experience, usually ends up being deep gratitude. Like, oh my gosh. Like I'll, I remember as a, as a missionary very early on, this is my second year as a missionary, you know, brand new. And we had had a transition that my, my teammate before had moved on to another campus. And so I just thought it would make sense for me to continue to mentor some of the guys that had been in his Bible study. And they were really cool guys. And I saw a lot of potential. And so I was just planning on doing that. Well, you know, I've got a relationship and my new teammate coming in doesn't know him yet. And it was maybe the third week of school. And my new teammate came up to me. It's like, hey, I just need to let you know that Phil asked me to be his Bible study leader. And I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's cool. And he's like, and I need to let you know that he said specifically, I don't want Jim to do it. <laughs> I sort of enjoyed that way too much. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's okay. And I'm not done yet. And he, and he said, and he said, Phil doesn't feel like you ever listened to him because, <sighs> because when he talks, you don't make eye contact and you're thinking about what you want to say next. And I think it's not that you don't care, but you're sending all the wrong signals. And it was like, it was literally that. I mean, this guy was a great man, Tom Schoenherr. If you're listening to the Equipcast, I love you. And I'm still so grateful for that conversation. And it was such a gift. I mean, it hurt like hell. I was like, ah, this is really, but it was so good. And I was so grateful for it. And that's often what happens. And I think that helps set up like for the last question, as we prepare for these conversations, we need to ask ourselves a final question. What do I want for this person? That's a huge, huge thing. Cause some, I mean, it's just been such a blessing for, for me because most of the time I get, I'm blinded. It's like, I just want their annoying behavior to stop. I was like, Oh wait, no, that's what I want for me. <laughs> and then it's like, what do I want for my daughter? What do I want for my coworker. And when I think about that and I begin to pray about that, suddenly I'm in touch with the Lord's heart and I'm actually in the space of loving, right? I'm willing the good for this other person. 
And I don't know why it feels like magic to me, but when I'm in the heat of a really intense conflict, when I stop and I think, what do I want for this person? It seems to change everything. And that's where I go for prayer because the other places usually don't work for me. And when I'm in conflict, I pray for him. I'm like, Jesus, please bless so-and-so because you know what a jerk they are. Like, okay, that's not quite great. So, and when I begin to pray what I want for that person, I'm able to, to tap into a sincerity and an honesty in prayer that uh, I struggle to get to otherwise when I'm annoyed. What are you, some kind of weird Christian or something? Yeah. yeah. Sounds, mm-hmm. sounds like a very Christian thing to do. And, and it's hard work. Uh, unity, oh, yeah. unity is not sitting around holding hands and singing Kumbaya to get to that place where you can say, what do I want for this person? I'm just replaying a situation in, in my head and, and in my life where I really just wanted that person to quit or, or I want to fire them. No, the Christian thing would be, I want this person to grow, become the best version of themselves, become yes. the, the man that God has called him to be and to work on some of those interpersonal skills so that he can, he can influence the kingdom in, in ways that he's never done before. Now that mm-hmm. would be the Christian prayer to have. I will admit that I don't always go there. So that was a good one for me, Jim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're, we're quoting a lot from a book written by a team of social scientists and authors. And yet it's just a practical manifestation of the example of Jesus, the advice of Jesus, the example and the advice of, of St. Paul. I mean, this is kind of like the Catholic motto. If it's true, it's ours. <laughs> it be- exactly. It belongs to us. Yeah. You know, <laughs> this will go on a tangent, but yeah, you're right. If it's true, if really you can find the echo in scripture or you hear the scripture echoed in, in the book that you're reading, that's maybe corporate. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with using it and using the language because there's so many different ways to communicate it. I was just sitting through a talk by a evangelical pastor yesterday. He was basically talking about what do you do when somebody attacks you? And he was using the rules of discernment. And I don't think he's ever read St. Ignatius of Loyola, mm-hmm. but what he was saying was like, Oh yeah, that's, I've heard this before from an IPF, but anyway, you're right. Yeah. I just, I just wanted to uh, affirm you in that like, Oh yeah, we're reading a book from, you know, that has corporate language and, and all that. But I think at the end of the day, it requires a supernatural type of love to want to enter into these crucial conversations. And I think it upgrades everything that we do when we enter into it with that desire to love like Jesus loves to be unified as the Trinity is unified to be one, as Jesus said, to, to find our way, to move our way into to John 17. Yeah. I mean, what we're talking about here, there, there's certainly, there's a, there's a natural element to it, but ultimately it's supernatural. I mean, this is not common. And so when you see communities that do this, whether it's a band of brothers in a military unit or an athletic team or a corporation, I get, I love listening to At the Table with Patrick Mencioni, his podcast, the way he talks about their work environment and the honesty and the healthy conflict in their team. I mean, it's so attractive. Ultimately, I think just what you said though, like to really do this often requires a supernatural grace. And at the most basic level, people recognize that. And they're like, okay, God lives here. Like these people love each other. There's a real unity here, and I want that. And all the listeners know evangelization is kind of my, my, my passion, and 
boy, unity is often like the secret sauce that really draws people in. Before they're even kind of ready for any sort of conversation about Jesus or truth, they just see unity and love. And it's attractive. Yeah. It's like God made it or something. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's like God is love. Oh my gosh. Okay. Crazy. Okay. Wrap this up. So, hey, thanks for being with us. We would love to hear, got a little challenge for you. We're going to link to the book, Crucial Conversations. And we're going to attach a little resource, a crucial conversation action plan. So check that out on the resources. And we hope this inspires you that you've been equipped to take that first step to have a conversation that you've been avoiding. And so take a look at that plan and challenge you to, to take that step, have that conversation and let us know how it goes. Unless of course it goes badly, then we're not interested. No, I'm kidding. No, we, we, we're, we're interested in that. We'll, we'll, we'll detox and get you back out there in, in the game, but we'd love to know how it goes. So let us know. And thanks for being with us. Mm-hmm.